Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Good morning. We begin in Sacramento, where lawmakers voted to approve statewide eviction protections in the final hours of this year's legislative session. And just as California's eviction ban was set to expire, the law bars landlords from evicting tenants for missing rent payments due to the pandemic. Governor Gavin Newsom signed that bill into law overnight. The final day of the legislative session always comes down to the wire, but last night was exceptional. KQED's Katie Orr, our political reporter, joins me now from Sacramento. Hey, Katie. Hi, Lily. So describe the scene last night. It seemed kind of surreal. It really was. I've been covering the legislature for over five years, and this was something I had never really experienced. They literally ran out of time because this was the end of a two-year session, the Constitution mandates that they have to be done by midnight on August 31st. Well, it was down to the wire. In the Assembly, they were passing bills that still needed to return to the Senate uh, for a final vote with like five minutes to go. And those bills got through, but by the end, it just wasn't enough time. And they ran out of time in the Senate to give these measures final what they call concurrence votes, which are usually pretty like just a formality. What makes it even more interesting is that two of those bills were major housing proposals from the Senate leader, Senator Tony Atkins. Normally, Senate leadership bills are treated with a level of respect that we just didn't see last night. So those two housing bills, would you say, were those the biggest, uh, most potentially impactful bills that did not make it through? Well, we also saw several major police reform bills that failed to be taken up again because they ran out of time. There was a bill that uh, would ban projectiles and tear gas being used by police to disperse crowds of protesters. There was also a major bill that was looking to decertify police officers that were convicted of serious crimes. So that was billed as getting rid of bad cops. Um, That bill had been a struggle all along, but it wasn't even brought up for a vote. You know, looking uh, back at the night on Twitter, it occurred to me that you had kind of two very different scenes playing out in the state Senate and the state assembly. What was going on in the Senate where things were particularly tense? Right. Last week, one of the Republican senators, Brian Jones from San Diego County, tested positive for COVID. But he had been in close contact with the majority of the Republican caucus right before he got that test back. 
So Senate leader Tony Atkins made the call to basically tell all of the Senate Republicans who had been around Jones that they weren't allowed to come to the floor, that they had to vote remotely via Zoom. The Senate Republicans were furious about this because they said that they were not the only ones that had been potentially exposed to Jones. And so last night, what we saw was the Senate caucus, even though the Republican caucus, even though it's small, like they really can't sway votes in terms of bills passing or not, they delayed procedures a lot, you know, asking questions, asking about procedures. In the end, they even caused a uh, over a two hour recess, which was time the Senate could just not afford to lose. Uh, So their tactics were successful. Okay, so that was the scene in the state Senate. Katie Orr, KQED politics reporter, thank you. You're welcome. It was a different scene in the state assembly, meanwhile, where lawmakers did not have the option to join remotely. And so Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks brought her newborn girl, Ellie, with her to speak in support of a housing bill. Here's a clip. Colleagues, it's good to see you all. I was actually in the middle of feeding my daughter when this bill came up. And I ran down on the floor today because... I strongly believe we need to pass this bill. We are 3.5 million homes shy of where we need to be right now in this state. (laughs) And Ellie agrees. A spokesperson for Assemblywoman Wicks tells KQED she requested the right to vote by proxy or remotely and was denied. Joining me now is Assemblywoman Monique Limon, who was also at the Capitol yesterday. Assemblywoman Limon is expecting, and that, by the way, is my son playing with Buzz Lightyear in the background. So everything comes together on this show. Assemblywoman Limon, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. As we said, Assemblywoman Wicks did not have the option to appear remotely during this pandemic. Given that you're expecting, and by the way, congratulations on that, did you have to physically be there? So I chose to physically be at the Capitol. Um, I've been very grateful that every accommodation that I've asked for as a woman who is pregnant, um, I've been granted um, by our House and leadership. And so I did not ask for a proxy vote uh, for this week. What was your reaction to Assemblywoman Wicks's situation? And sort of what does it say about the changing face of the legislature right now? Well, I think you have it right on in that the the face of the legislature is changing. Uh, I'm also the vice chair of the Women's Caucus, and so often we talk about what it means to have women in the legislature and how that changes. And there's no doubt that uh, having women and working women in the legislature who are mothers has changed even in the four years that I've been in the legislature. I think what we saw yesterday um, was that, you know, a few months ago when the assembly passed a resolution, H.R. 100, to allow proxy voting, at the time no one um, raised the issue or concern about perhaps also including maternity leave in that particular HR that would allow us to do proxy. But it was very evident um, yesterday that that was an omission. Assemblywoman Limon, thank you so much for your time this morning. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Thank you. Among scores of bills headed to the governor's desk, there's one that puts pressure on companies to rehire hospitality and transportation workers laid off during the pandemic. KQED's Sam Harnett reports. Born and raised in Oakland, Lee Taylor is one of more than seven and a half million people who file for unemployment in California. She was a bartender at SFO. Man, I wish I could go back, you know, having to work three other jobs to kind of... um, make up for what I was making at the airport. I wish I could go back. She's been working odd jobs and warehouses and at a food truck. She says workers need legal protections to deter companies from replacing them with newer, cheaper labor when this pandemic is over. That's common sense. AB 3216 would not guarantee reemployment for Taylor and others. It got weakened on its trip to the state legislature, but it would require employers to notify laid off workers of job openings and give them preference. For the California Report, I'm Sam Harnett. In the Central Valley, a facility belonging to poultry processor Foster Farms is planning to shut down for about a week starting tonight. This after a COVID-19 outbreak at its plant in Livingston in Merced County, where at least eight workers have died and almost 400 have tested positive. The California Report's Alex Hall has that story. United Farm Workers says Foster Farms did not comply with a Merced County health order last week that directed the company to shut down areas of the plant within 12 hours. On Monday, the union and activist groups brought together workers impacted by COVID. Marta Vera says her husband worked for the company for 27 years as a truck driver. Before he died, she says he told her some employees were sick and still coming to work. Merced County health officials ordered the plant to shut down last week until it was safe to reopen. But after a call with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the shutdown was delayed for 48 hours. And then the county issued a revised health order. Give Cash Cooley is vice president of United Farm Workers. What was the delay? They, <laughs> I just don't understand. Why was, why was their delay more important than making sure nobody else dies? Foster Farms is expected to shut down areas of the Livingston facility tonight through Labor Day for deep cleaning and employee testing. In a statement, the company said workers will be paid during the closure. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Millions of students across California have already started the new school year online, and they're running into the same problems as many of us now working from home. Security hurdles, Wi-Fi dilemmas, Zoom glitches, and who's stuck on IT duty? In a lot of cases, it's teachers. KQED's Vanessa Roncano reports. Avi Zellman was supposed to be teaching an advanced math class at Bret Hart Middle School this year. This is the first year in my 12 years in Oakland Unified that I'm actually not teaching a class. Instead, Zellman has a new job, tech support guy. He'd been doing some IT work on top of his teaching duties for years, but now it's all tech support 
all the time. Do you have the computer in front of you? Yep. He spends his days on phone and video chats, helping staff, students, and families navigate the transition to distance learning. First thing I want you to do is make sure you turn it all the way off. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to totally reset the computer. This year, every Oakland Unified School has someone in a similar role. Some teachers, like Zalman, have been reassigned to these jobs full time. Others are being paid to do them on top of other responsibilities. Zalman helped get loaner computers out to nearly half the school's students during the first week of school. Then another set of issues cropped up. Even when families get home with that Chromebook in hand or that hotspot in hand, they don't always know how to use it. And then, of course, things go wrong. Seventh grader Dariah Andrews has been borrowing a Chromebook from her school since the spring. On the phone with Zalman, she explains it was working fine. Then it suddenly stopped recognizing her home Wi-Fi network. This internet thing, which is now our internet, it keeps popping up. And I was trying to delete it off the screen, but it wouldn't come off. Well, I'm happy to help you. This is a problem that a lot of the school computers have been having. Right. I actually have a way of, of fixing it, okay? We're going to put the computer into what's called developer mode. Dariah so got connected to Zelman in the second week of school because her teachers noticed she hadn't been able to connect to Zoom. She'd been trying to use her phone, but... I lost my phone for a minute. I'm not going to lie. After she and Zelman get the Wi-Fi dilemma fixed, they move on to enrolling the computer in the district's network. Being in the network blocks kids from gaming sites and other inappropriate web material and automatically installs browser extensions and apps students need for school. So you're going to type in a special email address. And making sure she can log into her email account, where her teachers have been sending messages she hasn't been able to access. Is it saying that you're missing, like, Email and password you enter don't match. Eventually, they get things sorted. It works. Hooray! The whole process takes less than 15 minutes. Sometimes the problems aren't so simple. If a phone call doesn't cut it, Zelman uses Zoom or FaceTime. In the most complicated cases, he meets people in person. Families, you know, get frustrated very easily. And a lot of the, a lot of the conversations that I have um, I'm playing role of both support, but also doing some therapy <laughs> of like, it's okay, like this is hard for everybody. Since school started, Zelman estimates he's helped 40 to 50 students and families. I'm glad that your computer's working. I'm glad that you know what's up. Don't forget, send a message to Mr. Pence or Mr. Woolridge so they know that you're all set to go for tomorrow, okay? Okay. A couple days after Dariah talked to Zelman, the Chromebook was acting up again. Same problem. Eventually, she got another borrowed school computer, which seemed to be working. Three weeks into the semester, this seventh grader was finally ready to start school. For the California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño in Oakland. And that's the California Report for this Tuesday, September 1st. I'm Lily Dramali. Thanks so much for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools, personalcapital.com. And Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968, licensed and insured, Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Dirfetah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. 
Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 